you visit all of the pages of the web, we actually render each page in a real web browser so that our AI can see the page just like a human mm -hmm. does, can see the actual pixels, the look of the page. So it's more than just the text of the page. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax, and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Our guest for episode 242 is Mike Tung, the CEO and founder of DivBot, an advisor at the Stanford Startex Accelerator and the leader of Stanford's entry in the DARPA Robotics Challenge. In a previous life, he was a patent lawyer, a grad student in the Stanford AI Lab, and a software engineer at eBay, Yahoo, and Microsoft. Mike studied electrical engineering and computer science at UC Berkeley and computer science at Stanford. Mike Tung, thank you for being on my show. How are you all the way from uh, Silicon Valley? I'm doing well. Thanks a lot for having me. I'm, I'm very excited to chat with you about AI, about your entrepreneurial journey, what you're doing at DiffPod. But we have to go back to uh, being a, a child musician, playing at Carnegie Hall. What is that about? How do, you, how do you get to play at Carnegie Hall as a child? Well, um, I think my story is similar to a lot of um, Chinese Americans. Uh, they're sort of <laughs> forced to play an instrument at a young age <laughs> uh, by their family. But I, I think, um, you know, the, the main purpose of that is just to learn discipline and learn practice. So, yeah, as a child, I played the violin for maybe, I don't know, about eight, 18 years or so before, before college and wow. ended up playing with the group at Carnegie Hall. That's, that's remarkable. So you, you grew up in Taiwan, right? You're an immigrant from Taiwan. Tell me a little bit about your background and, and moving along with that background through Carnegie Hall to, uh, to get to doing AI at Stanford for your master's? Um, wow, it's a lot to compress and a, a lot of years to compress. But, but basically, I, I was born in Taiwan. I immigrated to the U.S. when I was about two years old. Um, so don't remember too much about Taiwan from, from back then. Um, but my parents, uh, my dad, uh, came to the U.S. as a grad student uh, studying biochemistry. And um, he later on um, taught at universities as, as a professor in uh, pathology and wow. later off uh, spun and founded his own biotech company, you know, that he's developing actually vaccines for um, HIV and uh, even one for COVID right now over in Atlanta, Georgia. Wow. And so I grew up in a very entrepreneurial family. Growing up in a very entrepreneurial family, what does that mean? You immigrated from Taiwan. You were telling me about what your father was doing, but what does it mean being in an entrepreneurial family? Well, it, it just means, I guess, it was uh, something accepted, you know, or at least not um, not crazy to be an entrepreneur since it, it ran in the family, I guess. Um, however, you know, while the rest of my family is sort of like in biotech and in biology, and uh, I. I worked at my dad's lab actually growing up and I realized that, you know, it's, I wasn't cut out sort of to do biology. Um, I spent, you know, many hours waiting for centrifuges to run, you know, uh, extracting DNA and building viruses and watching various kinds of clear fluids <laughs> um, develop. And, uh, you know, I needed a faster iteration cycle than that, waiting days and days for an experiment to run and, and not knowing where you messed up, maybe like in day two. Uh, and that's kind of how um, I came to computer science. So, you, so you're looking from the, this agile approach where you get to see results fast, iterate, pivot, iterate, and, and get to and get to deeper results. And and you find your way towards 
Stanford Masters in AI, working at the AI lab. Talk to me a little bit about what you're doing there and, and what draws you specifically to artificial intelligence then? Well, I mean, so it just started out playing with computers, developing video games. I think like a lot of um, the typical story of a lot of computer programmers. And um, after high school, actually, I um, instead of going um, directly to college, I worked for uh, about a year at Microsoft as a software engineer because um, I thought growing up, you know, Microsoft is the place where they really invented software development. Right. And I read about Bill Gates story. And then so uh, I went there. I got to meet him. Like uh, all the interns are invited to his, um, his house like over the summer. Wow. Um, I think back then. So I got to go to his backyard and check out his place. Um, and I learned a ton when I was at Microsoft. So, um, you know, after, but I also realized I probably don't want to work in a big company for the rest of my life. Um, so what, after Microsoft. What made you realize that? Why, what, what was it about the big company, that culture that, that you said, okay, maybe I'm more into the small company space? Well, first, I thought it was a great experience actually working at Microsoft. You know, I, I learned an incredible deal about how like professional software development is done. But, you know, I realized, you know, I, I want to do something of my own. I, I want to, uh, I, you know, my bosses and mentors while I was working at Microsoft, uh, you know, I had to really think, do I really want to be like that in 20 years or 30 years, right? Um, kind of doing doing that kind of work. And I right. just wanted to do more. Um, and uh, yeah, I wanted to work in a place that was, I was not constrained by the the organization where I was sort of mm. like, I think that's why a lot of people do entrepreneurship because right. um, they can't really work for anybody else. <laughs> so throughout these experiences, you're, you are getting into the, into, in more into artificial intelligence. What do you actually do at Stanford? What is your master's in and, and what leads you then towards this idea for DivBot? Yeah. So I was, I was interested in AI I guess way before it was popular from a pretty young age, like when I was even in high school, I was like um, developing neural networks to like to trade stocks and stuff from, wow. from reading like a sentiment on, on the, the very nascent internet at that point in time. Um, so I had always been fascinated by AI uh, and building intelligent systems um, at, at Berkeley. You know, I finished an undergrad in ECS in about two years and then quickly moved to um, grad school at Stanford. And I, took a heavy concentration in AI and AI courses. Um, and so it was at around that time when uh, there was this data set that was being built at Stanford called ImageNet, which was basically like, a, you know, a large collection of, of labeled images um, of, they basically used Amazon Mechanical Turk to label all these images that right. are from Google image search. And I was thinking, okay, how can we build like an ImageNet for language? Because unlike vision, right? Like, the, the human language, what we're using right now is what distinguishes humans from animals, right? Like even my dog has computer vision. He can tell the difference between his bowl and a toy, you know, right. a, a grassy field, but animals don't have anything like human language, right? So I was thinking about this problem and why is there no like image net for language? Even today, there isn't really something like that. And it's because there's way more concepts that humans have created than there are, you know, like a thousand image classes. And it would take right. you know, up to 50 man decades in order to, uh, build such a data set, right? So wow. that's when I started thinking, okay, what if we could use AI to automatically construct actually a structured data set of all the concepts that human beings care about? Um, and what greater resources there than the internet itself? And in that, you know, the internet I view as basically kind of like the world's largest man-made sensor. Anything that's uh, an important entity, someone's created a page for on the internet. 
right? And the only problem with the internet is that it's not in a structured format that's needed for machine learning and AI to use. So mm-hmm. I, I started thinking back then about how can we actually convert the internet into actually like a structured data set that then um, applications can use. Wow. Fascinating. So, so you're starting. So that's the research that you're going towards. And I, I'm also aware that you've given quite a few guest lectures at Stanford about knowledge graphs and about the different work that you've done in this field. So, so uh, take me through this entrepreneurial journey. How do you take a research question that you're so excited about and translate that into a company that you're running along with the work that you're doing at Stanford? Um, well, I wouldn't say it's a, it was a very direct journey. So I don't think you you just start on such a, a task like that directly. Um, during Stanford, um, I was you know doing this research uh, and you know uh, sort of I guess trying to delay from writing a thesis uh, because it's very hard to come up with like a breakthrough machine learning algorithm. And so I was doing a lot of side things. Like I was um, actually working as a patent attorney. I'd, I'd taken the the patent bar and helping a friend. You know, right past wow. to basically make money on the side as a side hustle. Um, actually ended up working for a startup that one of um, my professors at Stanford, uh, Dr. Uh, Professor uh, Prabhakar Raghavan, who's now um, a very important person at Google. Um, he, um, he said, uh, I was taking his uh, information retrieval class. And then he, he pulled me aside after basically the end of the class and said, hey, I'm, I'm doing this startup that I'm an advisor of, you know, and would you join it? So I joined it as one of the fa- sort of the founding engineers. Of, of course, that's um, what happens got a lot of ex- <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a very common story at Stanford. Um, that startup um, years later gets acquired by Facebook. Um, I also had um, sort of did a project with some buddies uh, called Click.TV that was like a video search engine uh, that then we later sold to Cisco. Um, right. So I had a couple of acquisitions under my belt and I had worked as a consulting scientist at Yahoo on their search and on eBay on their search. So um, the trend here is I got a lot of experience in building a search engine like from scratch. Um, and uh, these connections sort of paid off later. Like eBay became one of the first customers of, of DiffBot. There's actually um, a group in eBay uh, in Israel called the Structured Data Group that uses DiffBot. I actually, um, I, I'm, I'm good friends with that group. I've, I worked with eBay closely on, on, on some projects that I did uh, in my transition between high school and the army. And, uh, and it's a really fantastic team. Yeah, well, they, be, they were a user of DiffBot. And then um, some of those engineers there, um, basically, um, DiffBot replaced their work. And then later we hired them to join DiffBot from <laughs> one of the guys from eBay Israel. <laughs> Fantastic, fantastic. So, so what is DiffBot? And and I'd love to spend some time hearing a, another amazing founder story. So, you know, taking taking through your inner, like you know, the personal journey that you're, like you know, from deciding to run the company. What are some of the biggest hurdles that you're going through? Along, what are some of the most enjoyable moments of of creating this company? Okay, so the first question: What is DiffBot? So basically, DiffBot is um, a search engine. Now, how it differs from Google, uh, the same, how it's the same as Google is that we crawl the web, right? So we, we visit all the pages of the web. We actually render each page in a real web browser so that our AI can see the page just like a human mm-hmm. does, can see the actual pixels, the look of the page. So it's more than just the text of the page. And then what we do is how the AI comes into play is uh, on every page on the web, we're able to classify that page into what type of page is it? Is this a person page? Is it an organization page? Is it a product page? Is it an image page? And we're able to automatically convert this into structured information, right? So like a structured record about a person, place, or thing. 
And then what we build is what we call the knowledge graph, which is essentially, you know, a structured database, right? So how it differs when you um, use Google, for example, what Google is, is you type in a query and then Google gives you back a, a sorted list of results, right? So Google right. is similar to a card catalog in a library where it's directing you to other pages to read, right? And then uh, Google's business model is to auction off basically your attention to the highest bidder and advertisers. Right. Um, there's a trade-off, I guess, between relevance and advertising, right? And then, um, but Google doesn't actually contain the knowledge. It's actually just routing you to web pages, which you read, and then you gain knowledge from reading those, those results, right? DiffBot is actually doing the reading of those web pages, you know, using our AI, assembling it into this structured um, data set, and then returning back those facts directly from our index. And so the reason DiffBot is useful, especially for people building applications and businesses, is if you're building an app, let's say, you um, cannot just directly access a, a search engine. You need structured data to show in your app, to use it in your app, right? So, for example, like Snapchat is one of the customers of DiffBot. They, we power like the stories feature, those articles, news stories inside Snapchat. Mm -hmm. We also power other search engines like DuckDuckGo when you see like those news tiles or organization tiles. Um, if you are uh, like a business that has like a CRM, we can actually um, take every record in your CRM and automatically enrich and enhance it using the wow. information we have in the knowledge graph. Um, so, it, think of it almost like, um, you know, like a professional search engine that a business application can use, right? Um, right. All of your other business tools that you use um, are not generally like ad support supported software. Um, that's like consumer software, right? Like your Microsoft Word uh, or Zoom doesn't have like an, a pop-up ad inside it. And that's how mm. it's like supported. How do you how do you get to the to the realization that this is even something that's needed? So, you know, I, if, if I were to even, you know, as I am studying artificial intelligence at Stanford and I'm working on, all, on a lot of these questions, I, wouldn't, I would never imagine, like, maybe I should build a, a, a comp competitive search engine that could, could create structured data out of yeah. the World Wide Web. Well, so you study AI, so you know that there's basically like three drivers, right, of improving AI performance. There's the hardware, the software, and then the data, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I realized early on that the hardware, I, I can never really compete there. I'm not going to compete against Intel or, you know, TSMC or Samsung and come up with better hardware, right? NVIDIA, there's already billions of dollars invested in that area, right. making that better. The software, well, I was trying to compete in that in grad school, developing new algorithms, right? And But then there's like Google TensorFlow, there's you know, <laughs> PyTorch, there's all this, right. the software is always getting better. And there's so many people coming up with better algorithms all the time as well. Right? right. But when you start to think about data and you want to build right. an intelligent system, you need structured data. Well, what does everyone do? They end up just collecting their own data. They end up just uh, kind of rolling their own for their own application using the data they have. There isn't really like um, a, a, a kind of a knowledge store where you can just kind of right. say, I want to import this data from this source. And I have a, a, a core set of people, organizations or articles or information to start out with uh, that I can tap right. into. And so that's an area where I saw there is actually a gap. And looking at things like ImageNet, you can see that it was actually this data set that resulted in this uh, new revolution in deep learning. It wasn't actually any novel uh, new algorithm, right, that was invented. Because mm. um, neural networks have been around, you know, uh, since at least the 60s and 70s. Um, right. So uh, it's what I realized, hey, um, 
why, why can't we build like an everything store of data um, and structure the world's knowledge and um, build like a new kind of search engine for sure. that these intelligent um, applications can use? Right. So, so share with me, let's say a use case that I'm building an application that has something to do with uh, sports. Right, and let's say that I'm uh, that, that I'm dealing a lot with uh, with the, with the FIFA soccer tournament or with the NFL, and and I want to make yeah. use of 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 this knowledge database that you're accumulating by taking the the World Wide Web and take, making it into structured data. What would that? How would that use case look like from your perspective? Uh, if if I were to want to use DivBot, for example. Yeah. So. Um... Uh, I can show you an example. Um, I'm not sure Amazing. about it. Uh, so, so with sports, um, one of our customers is called um, Sports Innovation Lab. And what they do is basically they produce business intelligence for owners of like sports teams and sports executives, right? Okay. So they're using the DiffBot Knowledge Graph in order to track like um, uh, what's developing all these events in the sports world. Um, sure. The players, the teams. Um, they're using it to track like which teams have like COVID, COVID, uh, which things are shutting down, how are things like reopening. So it's helping sports executives re-navigate sort of the reopening like post-COVID. And so they're using the knowledge graph to keep track of all these things, right? Because uh, it seems like things are changing in the news on a daily basis with each team and each player. It's too much for like a human to keep track of, right? Amazing. So our so AI is actually, we crawl the web, keeping track of all that. What I'd love is that, is that as you're explaining this, we're, we're going to put right a, a box right, up, right above your head of how it's going to look. So, so how, how, do, how does a company like that, like that interact with DivBot uh, on, the, on their day-to-day, -day as they're on, on both on the application level, but also on the, on the consumer level? Yeah, um, I, I shared with you a link to basically the, what, how it looks like to the end user. But you can see basically... Um, there's this dashboard that shows um, a visualization ac across time of various um, sporting uh, world-related events, you know, as it relates to, to COVID and sports. And so you can see it's, um, it's sort of curated by the team. Uh, on each team, it shows like, you know, when that, seat, that, uh, that league was postponed, when it reopened, so like, um, athlete data, like whether a player has COVID. Um, <laughs> wow. That's very, and that's very, so, very yeah. cool. And that's very, very um, cool. What, what was the, what was the most surprising part of the startup journey for you until now? Uh, well, I mean, the startup journey has so many surprises in it, I guess. Um, um, I guess with Diffbot, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised by different use cases of, of right. our technology at all the time, right? Every day you hear about um, one of our customers using it in a way that you didn't expect the technology to be used in. So I think that's one cool thing about building like a platforms kind of company is that um, the people are free to use it in like lots of different ways that you wouldn't have imagined. And so it creates more innovation. A hundred percent. It also requires some open-mindedness and some creativity on your end to accept it and and to and to roll along with it, understanding that this is, that you're seeing these radically new use cases that you didn't expect, but you're embracing them. And now you're now you're able to understand the, the magnitude of what you're building. Mike, this was really wonderful. Um, I love what you're doing. I know that you're also hiring, so I'm, I'm guessing that if anybody here uh, is is into this kind of stuff and would like to reach out, I, I can make the intro. That's okay with you. Yeah. 
Wonderful. Definitely. We're, we're probably the best place in the world if you care about building automatic knowledge graphs using AI, right, from the whole web. Besides Google and Bing, we're the only other U.S. entity that crawls the entire Internet. So we, we have our own facility here in the Bay Area that crawls the web and has a copy Un of it. Unbelievable. How many people are you in the company right now? Um, we are a little less than 40 people right now. Wow. That's a very, very impressive. It, it, it's mind-boggling to me. A team of less than 40 people uh, making sense of the entire internet, crawling the entire internet. And uh, that's, uh, that's just, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it was unbelievable when Larry and Sergey attempted to do it in 1998 when the internet was, was this small. It's even more impressive when you're trying to do it when the internet is this big. Uh, Mike, before we leave, I have to ask you for three words that you would use to describe yourself. Um, this is a tough question um, to reduce like a human just to like three bits. But I would say um, if I were to only choose three words in the my entry in the Diffbot knowledge graph, it would probably be machine learning engineer because um, that probably most describes what I do, like engineering machine learning systems. And that's, that. that describes the core of, you know, what I do as a CEO. I, I love that. Mike, thank you very, very much. And uh, this was really great. I learned a lot. Thank you for being so generous with your time. And best of luck and stay safe and stay healthy. Great. Thanks for having me, Michael. Hey.